Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue episode number 83. This interview recorded on December 1st, 2013 is with James Moffat, CEO of the Organic Agency, a digital agency based in Exeter, England. In this conversation, we discuss the differences and challenges of B2B versus B2C marketing, social and influence marketing, the death of SEO, and an exceptional face recognition campaign that James's team led last year. A spirited conversation. Hope you'll enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Show, piped in from Exeter in England. James Moffat, someone I met uh, thanks to my great, our good friends at Like Mind. So, James, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, hey, Minter. Uh, good to speak to you. Uh, I'm James Moffat. I'm the uh, managing director and founder of the Organic Agency. We're an integrated digital agency based in uh, Devon in the UK, in Exeter, and in London as well. And uh, what do I do? Well, uh, I make the tea. Uh, I try and encourage everyone to keep doing what they're meant to be doing and uh, generally G everything along. So. All right, so how many people do you have working in your company? Uh, in the region, about 25, and um, depending on how you slice it up. Right, and probably some people are more uh, full-time, some less time. So um, your clients, your, most of them you were saying before we spoke are, are based in London. Give us yeah. a little bit of a feel for the types of clients you work with. Well, we work with um, uh, a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment directly is with Samsung, uh, working on a B2B project uh, across Europe. Samsung are making a big push in B2B. Uh, we work with a number of charities, including Greenpeace, Plan UK, professional services firms, law firms, solicitors, accountants as well. And the kind of work we're doing for them tend to be integrated digital projects, so everything from software development through to integrated content marketing plans. All right, so with Samsung, most of us will think of Samsung as being a, a company that uh, sells telephones. I've worked with them as well, and so I know that they sell fridges and the like. What, what area of the B2B are you in? Uh, well, we're working with uh, a number of areas. Um, EHQ, European HQ, which is, globe, is brand, basically, so across the whole product set. Uh, uh, ETO, which is mobile. Um, so across those key areas, but generally across the whole product set, uh, looking at developing their social channels, integrating digital as a B2B um, offering. Samsung are in the middle of really trying to develop and focus their B2B proposition, um, which up until now hasn't really existed. It's all been about the handsets. Right. Well, I mean, most most of the chatter on on digital marketing tends to lead towards social and and B two C and 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 that whole I would say more glamorous set of the business. Yeah. Talk us through your opinion of how it's different B two B B two C. Well, um, I think it's getting less different. That would be the main thrust of what I'd say. Uh, I think the beauty of B2B is, so in, in, in social media and digital, one of the key things people are always going on about is how, or what they should be going on about, in my opinion, is how it allows you to really work on a one-to-one um, -one personalized marketing experience so that the individual 
it gets a genuine taste of the brand, the experience, uh, the company themselves on a personal one-to-one -one level in a way that when you're just using mass channels, you can't really do it in the same way. Um, uh, I think that in B2B, that is a lot easier to achieve than in, in B2C. In B2C, you're, you're always marketing to millions of people. Mm -hmm. And the habit is to focus on different demographics, different types of people, different segments of markets. Uh, in B2B, very often, you might have 5,000, 10,000 individual customers that you're trying to target. Mm -hmm. So you can pretty much, you know, using technology now, scale a very personalized approach to those individuals. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the key difference. But with uh, the advent of, of, of you know, uh, digital monitoring and measuring and automation and marketing, I think the gap between B2C and B2B is closing a lot. Mm -hmm. And really good B2B marketing uh, is, is very like consumer marketing and really good consumer marketing uh, is becoming more and more like B2B marketing. Well, yeah, so I mean, I've worked in B2B as well. And, uh, you know, I think of things like search, for example, which yeah. could be a bigger component of of a B2C market, given the scale of what search is all about. Does, does search uh, play as big a role for you in B2B? Uh, search is a big, big part of what we do. Um, so I think if you focus on the customer, which is what we try to do uh, most of the time, what are they thinking? Regardless of whether you're trying to sell to the CTO or CIO or CEO of, big, of a big C-suite firm, or you're trying to sell a chocolate bar to someone through a, you know, a local retail store, um, ultimately they're, they're human beings and they're one and the same person, really. Uh, you know, believe it or not, CIOs do eat chocolate bars. Um, Many on a night programming. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how they keep going, isn't it? That's, that's right. how they keep typing away all night or whatever they do. Um, and I think that that is the fundamental thing that, that a marketer in the digital age really needs to focus on. There's so many channels and shiny things. I've talked about the shiny things that people get excited about. And the truth is, the longer I've spent in marketing, the more I can see that focusing on the things that are consistent, the message, the content, stuff that is emotive, being passionate about your product, how, you know, that kind of stuff, that's what works regardless of the channel mm -hmm. great content will succeed regardless of how good your seo is or your website is built or anything like that mm -hmm. you're giving it a better chance but great content will always win through mm -hmm. and so uh, when we when we create content the thing that i tend to lean towards is more longer form blogging because in a b2b world where people have share a common expertise and passion around a specific area as opposed to chocolate as part of my whole food chain. I'm, we're focused 10 hours a day on one particular topic, selling fridges. Mm. And so there's a, I, I feel a natural proclivity to be doing blogging. What do you think about that? Uh, I think blogging is, well, <laughs> for a start, it depends on your definition of blogging, right? Um, you know, from, from my perspective, a blog is just a particular way of structuring content on a page um, that has certain characteristics, uh, that is chronological in its order. People can comment and engage back with it. You can organize that content based on themes using categorization. Um, and, it, uh, and it tends to be more personalized in its style. Uh, and then if you get into the SEO elements of it, you know, length becomes an issue and, and all of that. But I think that 
blogging is a formidable way of taking longer forms of content, richer stuff. So if you think about a, a B2B decision maker, they've normally got a big budget, they're researching something for a while, they've got to justify it to their boss and all the people around them and the people spending their money. They're going to spend a, a while learning about and evaluating the decisions that they make. If they don't, then to be frank, they're not very good at their job. So uh, they, uh, someone who's good at their job will want to do that. Um, and uh, because of the way blogs work, because they're compelling and easy to read and consume, they, they, they spread well through social, especially if you've got a good title. And because of the way that they're coded via HTML, they rank well on, on search engines. So they're an incredibly powerful tool for, for reaching your audience. And then utilizing, the way we tend to utilize them is to come up with short form compelling content and then link through to longer form content like PDFs, white papers, images, videos, infographics, stuff that if people want to go deeper, they can. But yeah, blogs, powerful tool. Are you a cornerstone you, of what we do. Yeah, so do, do you guys uh, encourage the writing of blogs to be yourselves, or, or how do you manage that? Our job is to, okay, so there's, there's obviously there's the marketing purist, and every customer that we deal with should be a passionate expert in their subject. And they should want to write profusely every day about that subject and shout from the hilltops about how wonderful it is. Um, our job is to uh, make the custom, our customer, the marketing manager, the hero in their company by making them successful. And if that means that they're too busy because they've got other things to do to deal with internal matters, sometimes it's our job to do that mm -hmm. and do it as best we can. Uh, we tend to split campaigns into kind of three areas, content created by the customer, content created by us, and content created by the wider enthusiastic experts that are out there, the bloggers and, and, and people who are independent, because I think that gives a good uh, uh, the independent view on, on the product and the yeah. service that you're selling. Sure. And uh, so in B2B, the other area that is more obvious for me is the cycle, the length of time for decision-making. And mm. so there's a, it's a more sophisticated, generally longer route to get the decision-making. So how does that play out when you're talking digital? Um, well, digital, you've got these magic things called IP addresses, which basically tell you... Um, who your customer is pretty much and where they're coming from and when they're engaging with you. So if you think about the whole decision make, if you, if you think about the buying process from beginning to end, people engage with digital content to help evaluate, to research, evaluate, justify, and then make a buying decision, regardless whether that's a small product or a large product. Um, and every time they interact with your brand or any piece of content that you produce, they leave a marker saying, I was here, I was here. And as long as you're, you know, doing it on a permission basis in accordance with the law, you can pretty much track what your customers are doing and how they're engaging with your content and then provide them with more content uh, by whatever channel best suits, or be, or be it email, social media, websites, whatever. Um, so so that, that cycle, that cycle digital allows you to target users with every form of content that they could desire by all the different digital channels 
um, when they desire it in the format that they most want to consume it in. So it's it's critical to, to taking them through that journey. Yeah, so I was um, chatting with somebody, and I can't mention who, but they were talking about how they were monitoring incoming searches uh, and communications from a certain office and that yeah. gave them a clue to that they were that well there was a there were a hot lead so i i have but what i don't know and that's beyond my technicality how do you actually go about monitoring that give so, us give us some insight about that yeah. the magic word big secret that everybody everyone keeps talking about what's the next big thing you know that the one thing that people in digital love to do is is scan into the future normally because the future is only about 12 months away. Um, but the, the the one big thing everybody should be doing in B2B, and I'm hearing agencies spring, getting into it all over the place now, is marketing automation. Right? So you're looking at products like Marketo, HubSpot, inbound marketing is the other name, um, Pardot for B2B, which is part of the exact target, and Salesforce group. And really what's happening at the moment is there are... Um, the fastest growing area of marketing is, is marketing automation. And these systems allow you to use all the digital channels or a good selection of them and have a consistent tracking experience across that. So they'll take an IP address and they'll have a big database of all the com- what company did this IP belong to. Yeah? So they'll be able to tell you what company the person is from based on this database that they're checking. I and mean, you can see in real time... That person from this company has been on our website five times and they've looked at this content and they've got that email and they've downloaded that white paper. And uh, and then you score them. You score them. You say, well, based on that fact, Mintadial um, has uh, been on the organic agency website looking at social media marketing, but only social media marketing, not search marketing or anything. And he's looked at these white papers and he's subscribed to this email list. Therefore, we'll give them a nice high score for that, and someone can give them a call. Um, and that's really how the process works. It helps you fully integrate and join up your marketing. Uh, I think I think where people go wrong with marketing automation is that they see it as a way of making marketing easier. Uh, it isn't. <laughs> it's, it's just as much work. You have to be even more rigorous in getting your messaging right and, and organizing yourself. If you don't have a plan, it won't work. Yeah, and then who do you need? I mean, and what about the people around you in order for that to be to, to be effective? You, you, you yourself, you have your 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 system, whether it's HubSpot or whatever, bringing that in. But then, in order to go back and and to use that lead effectively, you need to bring in other people. Uh, to what extent do you have that kind of an, an issue when you're talking with like a, a Samsung? Um, integrating the biggest thing with with talking to the biggest issue that you would have working with a company like Samsung is size. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're talking about a company that is 25 percent of the GDP, roughly of of, of, Korea. Korea, of South Korea. I mean, I'm, that's a figure I've been told. So uh, I, ha- it, I had it actually a higher. So um, it's uh, right, well, there you go. So um, uh, it's 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 like having a thousand customers in its own right. Um, so. The way that you need to, to get marketing automation to work, you have to integrate marketing with sales fully because at, at some point the salesperson needs to get that lead and follow it up. Mm-hmm. This is the thing with B2B, and we spend a huge amount of time and effort on this with customers, is that we can do the, the grooviest email campaigns and the coolest creative and all of that. But actually, if you want to do business with someone, find them on LinkedIn 
work out what they're interested in, work out what event they're going to, and go buy them a coffee and talk to them about the subject that they're interested in. Yeah. Then they'll do business with you. you know? Well, yeah, that's that's really old-fashioned sales, just with the little digital spin on it. Yeah, that's that's the most powerful thing, in my opinion, in B2B that you can do. Hard to do at scale. Yeah. What about influence marketing? What's your spin on that? Um, what about influence marketing? Well, everybody has influence over someone. So, you know, everyone has an opinion that they like to share and that opinion impacts on whatever little audience that they have. Um, I think influence marketing is a new word for, um, uh, you know, uh, working with experts and, 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 and in people with insight within, within a particular in industry. We use, we make, we make blogger relations an integrated part of every campaign we do. And that's it. The first thing we will do is go out and find a list of people who are experts or certainly have a big audience and a good insight into a particular industry and start talking to them. Are you a believer in credo crowd, Klaus? We actually have our own kind of score version of that. Um, uh, which is called Red R E A D, um, and uh, it's just a, a manual one that we use internally. But like every tool that tries to evaluate the human persona and, and us as people and, and you know uh, humans, it, they're very unsophisticated. Um, basically, all data and all analytics, our view is, and certainly the view I try and take everyone to take in the company is take a look at it, get some insight from it and then brush it aside. You know? mm -hmm. So if it tells you that people mostly like, uh, your customers are mostly coming from a particular website. Great. That's useful to know, but that doesn't mean that you drop everything else and focus on that website. I've learned that the hard way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, it's all about an intricate pattern of joined up activity. Yeah, and sorry. So going back then to marketing automation, yeah. which is uh, you know basically putting the machine to work. To what extent, uh, or how sophisticated one must be at making sure that each message is appropriate per channel, and you know, there's marketing automation gets seems to be fished out by experts very easily. But do you think it's it is uh, it is still relevant that it's made made channel specific and so on? I think people overcomplicate because you can overcomplicate it. People do, right? Hmm. Um, and be and because you can abuse it, people do. Yeah, exactly. You know, if someone has a thing to say about a product, normally there's one really important thing that you need to say, maybe two, and uh, if users want to go deeper. They can, mm -hmm. but you need to focus on that mantra of that one or two important things. And, and everything else is a bit of a sideshow, really, and a waste of time, in my opinion. It's nice yeah. to do. You're a very pragmatic man. I like that. Um, you also do a lot of work on uh, usability, the websites, and yeah. e-commerce. I, I work the say, same space, of course, and I am interested in your opinion on to what extent usability from a customer standpoint, has evolved, you know, because obviously things are changing all the time. Uh, I see a lot, I, you know, constantly higher um, abandonment rates at the shopping cart. Mm. Uh, I see impatience probably going higher. The, the this, I, I think I think this is yet again another thing of people 
gamifying marketing, right? It's like SEO suffered from this badly, and so Google's pretty much killed SEO now. And and people gamify usability in a big way. It's killed uh, SEO gaming. Uh, no, no, I'll, I'll come back to that. All right. Um, but just on this point, um, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd chuck that one in. That's good. I like it. Uh, the um, the uh, usability, people try and game the user. They're like, oh, if we do this, it'll increase our conversion rate by 0.001%. And, and if we pop this up here, ultimately, keep it simple, keep it familiar, keep it you know, as simple and easy for the user as possible. Focus on the fact that what you're creating is a tool, right? And uh, your tool needs to be good at one job and one job only. There's a reason why, you know, um, a, a master craftsman, a master joiner has a bag of tools, all of which that do one job and doesn't carry around a giant, uh, you know, a Swiss army knife because they're useless if you really want to do a job well. Um, and I think with website usability and things like that, you need to think mobile first. You need to keep it simple. Don't put too many messages on the page and focus on what you're there to do, whether that's data capture, um, you know, a seller product. Just focus on that and keep it simple. Well, that, so let's if we just take selling a product, the problem or with many brands that still want to be brands is that you've got to bring the brand message in there. And that gets awfully complicated when you have to sort of have the commercial message almost, uh, I would say, interfering. Yeah, well, I, well, if your brand message and your commercial message are not aligned, then that's an issue that needs to be dealt with. And you know, the challenge that a lot of marketing entities have, and sometimes is that you just marketing professionals is sometimes that's a battle you just can't win, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to go down that route. Um, so you focus on patching up, you know, a marketing message and a commercial message, or a brand message and a commercial message that are not aligned. Mm. And that's a problem. Um, let's go swing back to that uh, perky little comment you made before about <laughs> SEO is dead. Right. How much do you know about SEO? Minter? Oh, I know plenty. Yeah. In my life, there's been pretty much SEO. SEO is something that is ingrained deep in uh, the organic agency. It is the one thing that when I first found search, you know, back in the early 2000s, and I, and, and I Google AdWords, and someone said to me, what, I can pay 20p and I'm guaranteed to get a customer through to my website. That was a revelation for me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you realize that if you knew how to do SEO, you could actually get those people to come for free. You didn't right. even have to pay for them. So you'd stuff all the meta tags in and get all the links and get the HTML page right and all of that. Well, Google, Google's... And I talk about Google because they dominate search. Yeah, that's a given. We do. And they're the best at it. So um, they've got the most sophisticated algorithm. So Google focus on uh, giving the best customer experience through search. And they see the end user website as an integral part of their product. They don't see that when you leave their site, it ends. So they're like, okay, what do we know that customers want? They want something that is relevant to what they searched for. Like and fast yeah they want it as instant as possible essentially bottom line that's it there's a lot of other things that go into that a lot of sophisticated things go into that but it's relevancy and speed really uh, and the user experience as well um so google have focused on evaluating the websites that deliver what people want what they want to read what they enjoy what they use what is fastest what is the best experience for them 
And throughout the life of SEO, professionals have spent their time ignoring that and focusing on how can I get as many keywords into this meta tab, metadata? How can I get as many links into point of the website? How can I, you know, um, uh, put some clever hidden gateway pages or things? And there's companies who have grown huge global SEO companies turning over hundreds of millions of pounds who have built their whole business based on some sophisticated trick that gains the search engine. So Panda and Penguin over the last couple of years, which are two of the Google updates, and the latest one, which is Hummingbird, have really done a vast amount to eradicate that. I'm not saying you can't do it, you can't game it, but they're now so focused on social signals, on um, quality of content, time spent on page. You know, remember, Google don't just have analytics, they have browsers, operating systems, that you know, it's the spidering every page in the. They know what you're looking at. There's, I, I, you know, people talk about all the reasons why Google unified their terms and conditions a couple of years ago. One of the reasons I think they did it is because it allowed them to use all the data across all their platforms mm-hmm. to optimize their search experience. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of others as well. And hence, hence the importance of Google Plus. Yeah, exactly. Google Plus is something that if you're not doing in your business and you're serious about search then, you know, you need to start now. All right, so and if you talk about search, one second, you talk about usability. Yeah. What, traditionally, usability was e- equal to well-organized <clears throat> with bullet points, H1, H2 tagging, and a, <clears throat> a sense that there was a, a structure to the way it was written. Are you saying that's been put in the poo bell, that whole side of, of SEO? <clears throat> SEO activity kind of splits into three areas. One is... Does, is the website technically built well by the developers? Yeah. And because most people buy the website on price uh, and they don't understand what's involved, most websites are delivered without a lot of the technical stuff behind them that needs to be there, without best practice in place. Yeah. Um, so uh, you might not have all the meta information in there. You might not have XML sitemaps. You certainly won't. You're, you're highly unlikely if you pay just a few thousand pounds to have all your JavaScript files excluded into separate documents. Um, so a good percentage of SEO is fixing mistakes caused by bad web development. Mm. So buy good web development, and that's no, no longer necessary. The second part is the technical bit, um, which is making it even faster, doing all kinds of clever technical games behind the scenes. Well, that's really useful. But actually the other bit, which is if you create awesome content that people really want to talk about and share and and they want to read that that other tiny little bit becomes irrelevant so if the first bit is just fixing websites that are badly built and that the second bit this technical bit of getting all the html tags and h1s and all of that right is good but not really important if your content's great then there's only one thing you need to focus on yeah and that's doing amazing content and making sure that it's socially distributed right Right, which which gets you the link backs, yeah, yeah. Or which, whether it's social uh, or or otherwise. But don't you know that's like focusing on uh, it's it's like it's it's focusing on the wrong thing. The right thing is if you create a good piece of content. Uh, so the one I always use is yeah the the old the the old story. If a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, mm-hmm. did it really fall? Right. Well. If you create a piece of content and nobody reads it or nobody shares it, 
what was the point in creating it in the first place? Well, <clears throat> so, so some, some pushback, James. Yeah. There's some great content that might even have, uh, you know, great usability, load up fast and everything, but no one's read it mm. because the person wrote it in a vacuum. Mm. And so there is a, a need for distribution in order for the there at least a bit of a critical mass so that it starts percolating on top of the water because it may be the best written material with all the right links and everything, but it still mm. won't get found. So... When, we, when we're talking about content, writing digital content, uh, so one of the things I talk about quite a lot is what I call this new form of literacy that you need today, digital literacy. And, and that means that writing a great piece of content and sticking it somewhere isn't the beginning and end of creating content. Right? Before that, you've got to find out what people are already talking about, where is the debate, what is happening, and what kind of language are they using. There's no point you talking about classic one is the holiday lettings market yeah holiday lettings so in the uk if most holiday lettings will normally be uh, semi-detached apartments villas flats that kind of thing but nobody searches for those they search for holiday cottages <laughs> and do you know how many actual cottages there are that you can go and stay in out there not that many mm -hmm. so you have to use the right language so you need to research in the first place frame your title and content right then create your content, which has got to be good. And then the third bit, if you want to be a if you want to be digitally literate and create proper digital content, that social sharing and seeding is an integral part of the content creation yeah, part. Totally. You're not finished until you've done that. Mm -hmm. So this is where we get into this whole integrated approach. Mm -hmm. the, 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 cr the, the crossover, and you'll see this on the organic branding. There's a lot of reason why we use the crossover circles mm -hmm. for our branding. Um, like Venn diagrams, the crossover between content, search, and social um, is is where the, the power comes from. We yeah. talk about it as the sweet spot, sweet spot in the middle. Mm. That's when you're cooking on gas. I like it. Well, that's, that's very cool. So I, I do want to get to you, James, on just one last thing before we close off, mm. is um, I, facial recognition. So yeah. uh, Tesco's got into this, and you guys actually did a plan with Plan UK. Can you tell us about that, and how did it work? What kind of parts of it were difficult, uh, successes and failures? So we, we, uh, worked with, uh, we worked with Plan UK. We've been working with about three or four years, and this is a project that they did last year. I think uh, with Shine as well, who's their PR agency, they were involved in a couple of other people. And um, they, they found some technology that can look at you. So Plan UK are a charity looking after children's rights around the world, and in particular, the rights of, of young women and girls, um, uh, uh, looking into forced marriage and uh, access to education for girls and subjects like that. And this uh, advert could tell your gender, it could evaluate by looking at you um, and, and make a, a, go a good call on whether you were male or female. Now, like most of this technology, you know, it, it was not 100% perfect, but pretty good. And uh, we uh, uh, worked with them. They did an installation on a bus stop on Oxford Street, just outside Selfridges, so that you could go along and based on your gender, you would look at the advert and it would serve you up different content if you're a man or a woman. And I think it was pretty much the first uh, gender recognition ad that uh, ran in the UK and it's a great campaign and the reason I think it's a great campaign 
is because it almost works for everyone. It's it, <laughs> at every angle you could possibly think of from, you know, uh, is it right that we should have technology, advertising technology that can tell who you are, through to male and women rights, through to something really cool that the techie wants to go, hey, how amazing is that? Through to something that's emotionally compelling. Um, it would, it's all in that little idea of having this facial recognition ad. So the stories, the stories you could tell were many. And we worked on stories about, yeah, not just men and women's rights, but is this, is this something that companies should be able to do? Should they be able to tell our gender? And that means that you start to get people like Stephen Fry in, involved and, and all of that. And all of a sudden, what is a very small campaign, potentially, with a few PR bots, can become huge because it gets its own tra traction. Uh, but I think the key there is, is not so much the, the technology in its own right, but understanding and where the story lies. Yeah, it seems like when you do something like the the mission that Plan UK is on, you have a little bit more grace that's accorded to you by the public, uh, a little bit more anyway, because the you know the mission is is a great one, as opposed to going out and making some more dollars and cents in a commercial sense, as Tesco is doing now in their gas stations, where they go beyond just masculine and feminine. We love working with charities because the the product itself is inherently emotive. Yeah. It's so content about, by itself. Uh, in its own right. Um, uh, the, um, the, we're, we're just starting a campaign. I can probably tell you today, because I think it launches today, if not tomorrow, um, with Greenpeace. Um, right. And it's, we, ha we didn't do the creative on it, um, but we're doing the social. And uh, it is, uh, you know, it's so compelling and engaging. And not only that, it's fun. And it's slightly risky. Yeah. So if you take the story and unravel it and, and make all the angles on it, you can you can do anything you want and appeal to everyone, regardless of who they are, what their opinions are, whether they're happy, sad, you know, they want to save the world or they just want to have a good old laugh. Yeah, do cool. that through one campaign. And I think that's when marketing works, when it 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 it, it meets you here and down here. Well, that, the that would be the up in the head and down in the heart. Absolutely. Just because people aren't watching you on this. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure to put the, the, that in the show notes. This will, this will be published after that goes live <clears throat> with Greenpeace. Just, yeah. just on that note, I was going to say there's two people who, I mean, they're obvious and every marketer should look at them when it comes to compelling content. One is Coke, who do their liquid content. And if you haven't watched the liquid content videos, Go away and do it. They're brilliant, mm -hmm. and um, uh, it really, uh, uh, it really, it, it tells you pretty much everything you need to know about doing great digital marketing. I think. Yeah. And the second one is of, equally as obvious, but there's a reason why they're so successful and huge, and everyone's heard of them. And that is Red Bull. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Red Bull know what their product does. They know what it means. And every single piece of marketing they do has the value of that product at its core, from jumping out of space mm -hmm. to driving around in a Formula One car. It's all about energy and yeah. energy drinks. Well, you know, the, the, the point with those two brands in particular, and they're both, uh, Coke's doing a great job in France as well, is that they have a product, but they are wrapped in an emotion. And uh, yeah. the one is, you know, smile, have a Coke, and, and the other one is go for adventure and, you know, go for the extreme. And so that exhilaration and thrill. And so by in their DNA, they are that and they stay true to that. 
it's the challenges for so many brands where we talked a little bit about the challenge between the commercial and the or the you know, commerce and brand messaging is that they don't necessarily have or they haven't dared to go in and find the emotional space I think allow, the allow the employees to express themselves and 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 be more have more personality and then then you then you face those challenges. That's the key thing that most brands are scared of it. They're scared of it. You know, especially smaller and medium sized companies, it's very difficult. And in B two B, this is a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone wants to be protected by the corporate representation. Mm-hmm. If they stay corporate, they stay safe, right? But you've got to you've got to have the guts, I think, to to push through and understand what it is that emotes with your customers, mm-hmm. whether or not you're selling legal services you know, to international conglomerates mm. even if it's just i want money or i want the pain to go away or i don't want to end up in prison right it's still got an emotion behind it and mm. you've got to understand it might be the emotion is that i want a safe pair of hands that i can trust right but, stick, but you trust is emotion yeah exactly james how can someone track you down find your services or follow you um, so the website is www.theorganicagency.com. Um, the company Twitter handle is Grow With Organic at Grow With Organic, uh, and those are the best places to find us, or find you at some fun fun event in London. And some event, or you can use good old fashioned email. Oh, and, and what would be the best? Worked pretty well, and w- apparently. And what email should we uh, address? James at theorganicagency.com. Brilliant. Well, James, thanks for coming on the show this Sunday evening. You can go back and have a normal Sunday night now with the family, and uh, we'll be in touch. It is a pleasure talking to you as ever, Minta. Thanks, James. Take care. Bye. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minta Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called 
can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.